0: Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message.
1: thank you. I'm just starting to feel awkward now. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day that we can celebrate resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that you are present with us. And we pray, Lord, now that as we enter into looking in your word, that it would be fresh to us, that you by your spirit would sharpen the edges of the words so they penetrate our hearts. And uh, the result would be, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Traditionally, right? This is an old tradition. Some of you don't realize that, maybe. So, let's try that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes. It is the way the early disciples responded on the anniversary of Christ's resurrection. He is risen, they would say to each other, and they would respond, he is risen indeed. It was an affirmation that what they had experienced that first resurrection and the following days of that, that was reminding them over and over again. And so resurrection has been said a couple of times, is the seal. I'm using the word seal. It's the affirmation of the cross, of all that Jesus had done, his life, the resurrection really is the stamp that says it's all true. This is the place where if you're going to stumble in your relationship with God, if you're going to stumble in your uh, belief that Christianity is true, this is one of the key stumbling blocks. I mean, how many of you have seen somebody raised from the dead? It's very unusual, isn't it? And it is sort of one of those statements that's magical. It's sort of otherworldly. And so I can remember as a 20-something-year-old guy who was growing up in the Christian community, gone to a Bible-believing church. I had embraced the gospel. I had come to a place of saying yes to the Lord. And then in my 20s, I'm going, is it all true? I was stuck with the fact that it was otherworldly, in a sense. And all of a sudden, I had this moment of questioning about it. And so I stepped back from faith. I didn't step back in terms of rejecting it and turning away from it, but I stepped back in terms of saying, I want to be sure that I know it's true. And so I started pursuing understanding. I had a background in history i'd done some studies in history and i knew that historically there's a different measure of truth how many of you know the difference between historic truth and scientific truth did you know there's different kinds of truth out there see scientific truth is what we've grown up with in the western culture some of you that come from other cultures you've been blessed to avoid that but we have been taught to believe that truth has to be absolute that it can be reproducible but historic truth is not like that. Historic truth is rooted in the fact that there is records, and there is evidence to say that this has happened. And so I started looking at truth, pursuing it and saying, what is the truth about the resurrection? And part of my pursuit took me to a couple of books. There was a guy named uh, Frank Morrison. He wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone? Frank had been a lawyer, and uh, when he came, was pursuing his law degree, and then hearing about people around him becoming followers of Jesus, he wanted to verify that. He wanted to say, it's not true, actually. And so he pursued trying to disprove the gospel. And he took the early writings, the gospels that we have, and then he looked at the historic value of them, and are they well supported in scripture, And then he looked beyond the scriptures to find out that there's a guy named Josephus who was a historian in the day of Christ, and he started to put the pieces together, and his conclusion at the end of the book was the resurrection is real. There's another guy a little bit more contemporary named Josh McDowell. Same thing. He was a person who saw people around him becoming followers of Christ. He wanted to prove it wasn't true, and so he pursued trying to disprove the resurrection he wrote a book called evidence that demands a verdict and in it he takes and shows the historic foundations for the resurrection and these are places that I went because I wanted to make sure that my faith was established on what was true Simone Veil, who is a French philosopher a follower of Christ she made this comment one time she said in your pursuit of truth if it leads you away from Jesus, don't worry. If you continue to follow truth or pursue truth, you will find yourself back in his arms. You see, understanding our gospel, our truth, or what we believe in, is not about some blind faith. It's about a faith that is rooted in something that's provable. Not in a scientific way. It's pretty hard to recreate his history, isn't it? But historically, it has great foundations. And the historic truth is is that the resurrection happened because Jesus was a real person. He really lived. And he really died. And the evidence is out there. But I want to take us back in the story because this morning, the resurrection as a seal... is really about a seal of the gospel it is a confirmation of all that we believe so let's start back in the book of genesis genesis chapter one because god had an intention in creation and his intention was pretty clear you see in genesis chapter one it's the story of creation and you go through the whole story of creation up to the first five days and at the end of each of those days god said it was good whatever he created in those days was good and so you get to the sixth day, and this is the day when he creates human beings. And it says this, and then get, God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock and all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry around the ground, along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. See, God was intentional in creation. If you read a few more verses into this uh, chapter near the end of it, it says, and God looked at what he had created in this day six and he declared it very good. It wasn't just good, it was very good. Why? Well, God's intention in creating human beings is rooted in how he did it. He did it in his own image, to be like us, he said. And there's a number of things associated with that idea. One of them is, is that we had free choice. God has free will, we have free will. The fact is, as he said, let them be like us, it's about community, it's about belonging. And then he were to give us, we were to watch over, take care of the earth. It was God's creation, God was responsible for it, but he had joined, invited us to join him in taking care of the earth. And then we go into chapter 3, there's that verse in verse 8, when the cool of the even breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. This really implies that you know, when you read that passage, you realize that Adam and Eve were not upset that God was present. He called out to them, hey, where are you guys? And they came out and we're, here we are. And they had started to have a conversation. You see, God was in relationship with his creation. He was not absent. You know, there is a, a position that's held that uh, God created this world. Then he spun it out there and said, let's see what happens. That's not what happened. God created this world and then he came down and walked on it. He had relationships with the men and women that were there. And that's his intention. His intention has always been that we would know him, that we would be able to walk with him, that we'd be able to interact with him. That was his intention. But in Genesis chapter 3, we have Satan's interruption. You see, Satan didn't like what he saw. And so he came, and this is the passage where it talks about him coming and tempting Eve. Did God say you couldn't eat of the fruit? Oh, no, we can eat of all the fruit. The only one we can't eat of is that tree in the center of the garden. Really? You can't eat of it? No, we can't eat of it. We're not even supposed to touch it unless we, if we do, we'll die. Oh, you won't die. And then the passage goes on to say, She looked at the tree, and she saw that it was pleasant to look at. It was attractive and her desires rose up if you take a look at uh, James chapter 1 it says this and remember when you are being tempted don't say God tempted me God never tempts is never tempted to do wrong and he kept and he's never tempted anyone else temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away these desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It's who we are. It's our longings and our desires. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. This is the uh, King James Version. I'll read the NIV or the New Living. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, talking about Jesus prophetically, the sins of all of us. That was the interruption in God's intention. God's intention has always been to gather a people that belong to Him, that love Him and know Him and walk with Him. So now we have God's intervention. He intervened in the process. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is a great verse. But I like the verse that follows it just as much. Because the verse that follows it says, God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. But he sent him into the world to save the world. And this is God's intervention. He wanted to make it clear that from the very beginning, he wanted to be in partnership with us. He wanted to have relationship with us. And that's the whole thing of what Easter is about. That's what the resurrection is about. It confirms that everything that has happened beforehand is true. As Micah stole most of my punchlines earlier. It's liable to happen, right? The gospel is like that. It's so powerful you can't avoid making these statements. The resurrection proves that all the promises of God are yes and amen. If we take a look in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to look at the resurrection and get a good picture of it, 1 Corinthians 15 is the passage you want to look at because the whole chapter really talks about it. We're going to just pick up a couple things, though. Verse 3, this is where Paul writes, I pass on to you what was most important and what also has been passed on to me. Jesus died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by 12. And then it goes on to talk about a group of 500. There was a whole bunch of people who saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. If you go down to verse 12 of that passage, but tell, tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying it doesn't happen? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. You see, the resurrection is this keystone moment in the Christian's life. Without it, all the rest means nothing. And that's why it's so important to hang on to it, to take hold of it. This next slide is a slide with it's a lot of detail on it. But I want you to take note of it. This gives you a bit of an idea how significant the resurrection is in our faith. You see, it says there, the divinity of Jesus rests on the resurrection. It's taken from Romans chapter 1, 4. The sovereignty of Jesus rests on the resurrection from Romans 14.9. You can go through each one of these. Our justification rests on the resurrection, Romans 4.25. Our re- regeneration rests on the resurrection, 1 Peter 1.3. Our ultimate resurrection rests on the resurrection of Jesus, taken from Romans 8, verse 11. And then finally, this statement by Charles Spurgeon. The fact is that the silver thread of resurrection runs through all the blessings, from the resurrection or regeneration onward to our eternal glory, and binds them all together. If you want to check out the reference there, the... That bottom there is the uh, footnote where I grabbed that from. So the resurrection is a seal of our salvation. But it's more than that. And uh, when uh, Micah was talking about the series that will start next Sunday on the Holy Spirit, this is really what it's about. The resurrection makes everything true, including the promise of the Father. The Father promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, that all the promises would be yes and amen. And we want to take a look at that because, you see, ultimately it isn't just about a God that is far away, but it's about a God who is present here. It's about him walking with you in your day-to-day life, being present in such a way that you can turn to him in a moment and invite him to be a part of whatever is happening. We have friends that are experiencing difficulty just simply because one of them, uh, of this couple, one of them is uh, suffering from cancer. And in the moment, I have seen them over and over again turn to Jesus. It's hard. It's not easy. But we just spent some time with them this weekend. And... As I'm talking with the husband who is suffering from cancer, he's asking me about my hip and how it's doing. He's not consumed with his issue. He's aware of other people. We're talking and we ask him how things are going at their church and he's on the elders board and he's actively engaged in it. And even though the end of his life appears to be near, unless Jesus intervenes, He is engaged in serving him right to the end. Why? Because Jesus is real and present for him. That is the extreme. But there is the normal day-to-day stuff. Raising kids. You know that God wants to help you raise your kids? I can remember we we had teenage boys. They're growing up now. They're now giving us grandkids and we're happy about that. But there was a time when our boys were a bit of a challenge. And I can remember going off on a Saturday to a friend's birthday celebration. And we're partway through the celebration. And all of a sudden, I get this overwhelming urge to go home. And I'm praying and saying, Lord, I'm here to celebrate Tim's birthday and go home. So I get up, I go over, and I apologize for leaving early wish him a happy birthday, I drive home and I catch my son and a friend toking up in their bedroom. The intervention of God in the moment. This is what the resurrection's about. It's about opening a way for us to walk in relationship with the Heavenly Father by His Spirit. John chapter 14, there's this wonderful little interaction where Jesus is talking about Us being in the Father, and the Father in us, and him in the Father, and so on. And he says, if you love me, the Father will love you, and we will come and live with you. Do you know that? Not just the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are all present in some way in your life today to walk with you. And it doesn't matter if it's a situation of grave illness or raising your kids. Or as simple as some little conflict that you have in your workplace. In all of those moments, the Spirit of God is present for you, to guide you, to speak into your life, and to give you wisdom about how to move forward. And it isn't just this, well, next Sunday we're going to have a longer conversation, but it is about who He is, the Holy Spirit is. He is a counselor. He's an advocate. So a counselor is someone who advises you. An advocate is like a lawyer who goes before the judge and argues your case. The Holy Spirit is present in that way in your life. So when you mess up, he is before the Father saying, remember what Jesus did for these guys. It's all taken care of. As a counselor, as you're struggling with things, all you have to do is ask and he will give you wisdom. He will speak into your life that's why the resurrection is so important and that's why knowing it's true is important and so that's the challenge for us do you really believe that jesus was raised from the dead yes you can say it intellectually i believe what the bible says is true but have you actually tested it have you pursued it have you Wanted to know the truth in so much that you could base your life on it. The early Christians figured this out. They ended up being tortured. They ended up going into the Colosseums and martyred. And they were able to stand steadfast and say, it is the truth. In the face of great pain, great pressure, they could stand on the truth and say, it is true. Do you believe it like that? You see, in my life, I made my first decision for Christ when I was six years old. I said, I want to follow Him. Fast forward from age six to about age 12, I really slid into the world around me. How much trouble can a six-year-old or an eight-year-old get into, right? Yeah, I got in enough trouble. Not serious trouble, but I can remember one time, my friends locked me in. We had an old schoolhouse, and there was a porch on it, and I was in the porch. I walked in for some reason, and they locked the door, and they wouldn't let me out. And I said, if you guys don't let me out, I'll break the windows. They wouldn't let me out, so I broke the windows. <laughs> Stupid. No impact on them. My dad found out, though, there was a great impact on me. <laughs> but the reality was I was following in my fr- with my friends. I wasn't making a decision separately. And then as a 14-year-old, I'm playing baseball. I was at a Bible camp. Some of you might know it, Bethel Bible Camp. I was playing baseball out in the outfield. Someone hit a long fly ball. I went running for it. I had it. I jumped up to grab it. My friend collided with me, broke my leg. I'm laying in the hospital. Doctor says, well, it's a serious break. You probably won't walk normal again. I know I don't walk normal now. But in those days, as a young person who wanted to play sports, I really loved baseball particularly. I wanted to be able to do those things. And I can remember him laying in bed, hospital bed, and saying, Lord, if you'll take care of that leg... I'm yours. And you know what? A couple of months later, when they took the cast off, I had a British doctor. He looked at it, made me do some stuff. He called his partner over. He looked at it, made me do some stuff. After I'm finished doing all the stuff, the British guy goes, bloody well perfect. And I sense God saying, yes. And yet, when I'm a 20-year-old, I'm still questioning whether it's true. Do you hear the progression? God is not interested in us making a simple decision at 6, or another decision at 14, or another one at 20. It goes on and on. I'm now into my 70s. I'm still making decisions about following Jesus. I'm still engaged in the process of being challenged about who I am and how I live my life. Because you know, you know something? I still sin. Did you hear that? I'll cover the other way. <laughs> I still sin. You see, first John 1 9 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth, nope, that's not the right one. That's Romans 10. Oh, shoot. Can't remember. Who has first John 1 9 in their heads? Yes, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But then it goes on to say, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar, and the truth is not in you. I don't care what age we are, we never reach perfection until we're in his presence. We come close. I know some men and women that I've met who are very godly and come very close. But they still struggle in some areas. And so we need to pursue the truth of what the resurrection is about. And we need to allow that truth to become reality rather than theory. Because you see, if you only believe it intellectually, but you don't believe it experientially, where you've actually practiced it, it's only theory. But when you take the word of God and you believe it's true, then you want to embrace it. You want to allow it to shape your life. <clears throat> I want to tell you, you guys are an intimidating crowd of people. I have grown up, I grew up in a very contained kind of expression of worship and then I made the mistake of getting involved with some charismatics and I experienced something much more, a lot more freedom. And then We went into ministry, we ended up back in sort of more contained expressions of worship. You want to know something? For me to wave a flag this morning was intimidating. The question is, what are they thinking? It's really hard to bring attention to, no, it wasn't, because the songs were great, and it moved me to worship with the flag. But you want to know something? The experience of worshiping with freedom is something that brings congruity to who you are. You say you worship God, and yet you stand or sit and don't move. You might be worshiping God. I'm not going to judge that. But I have to tell you, there are going to be times where God is going to say to whisper to you, you need to express that with who all of who you are. Why do you think David danced before the ark when the ark was being brought back into Jerusalem area? Why did he dance before the Lord? It's because the fullness of what God was doing and working in him and how God had brought him to that place, he had to worship that way. And if God is motivating you to worship, to embrace the fullness of who he is, to be obedient to the still, small voice. It is the act of obedience that is worship. It's not the intellectual assent. And so for me to wave a flag this morning was an act of obedience. In spite of what the rest might think, it was what God said I needed to do because I actually prayed about it friend asked me on the way out, should we bring the flags? I stopped and I thought about do I really want to do this? And I go, yeah, I think I do. I think God's prompting that. And then we got here, and do I actually take the flags into the sanctuary? See, it's a different thing, isn't it? It's one thing to bring it to the building, it's another thing to bring it here. And then it's another thing to open them up and actually wave them. Every step is a step where the enemy can trip you up. But every time you step into it, you step into what you sense God is telling you to do, that is a new level of freedom, a new level of embracing what God is calling you to. And it goes into all kinds of areas. So I just use something simple like a flag. What about talking to your neighbors? opening up to the people around you. You see, all of these things are about God's presence with us, Him speaking to us, encouraging us, that rise out of the fact that the resurrection actually happened, and it is the truth that there is a living God, a living Jesus Christ, a living Holy Spirit, who are present with us to act in us and through us. You know how I overcame that fear of talking to people? I decide, Lord, I can't talk to them about you, but I can talk to you about them. And so when I meet people, sometimes I hear things and I just ask the question, can I pray for you? And then I'm talking to God about them. I'm revealing the heart of God to them. It's a way of entering into what God calls us to. So, resurrection life, it's more than Jesus rising from the dead. It's resurrection life when he rises in your heart and motivates you to do what he's asking you to do. Where he comes and he speaks to you in a still small voice and says, Do this, swing a flag, do that get down on your hands and knees and ask your kids for forgiveness because you messed up sometime. That's a part of it, right? And so I want to encourage you. The resurrection has happened. I believe it. He is risen. Yeah. And if he's risen indeed, has he risen in your heart? Has he made his presence real in such a way that you can hear him? And you know what he's asking you to do let's take a moment to pray heavenly father we want to thank you that you rose from the grave oh jesus you rose from the grave heavenly father we thank you for raising him from the grave we thank you lord that you have made a way for your ultimate intentions to be fulfilled your desire to walk with us, to be known by us, to be a part of our lives and we would be a part of yours. Lord, all of these things are what you want. And we want to thank you that the resurrection says yes to all of that. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you by your spirit would move amongst us and that you would come and make your presence real. There's some of you this morning who maybe haven't realized that Jesus can be present with you today. I want to encourage you to reflect on what it takes to invite him to be resurrected life in your heart. And it's really pretty simple. It's acknowledging that you have not included God in your life. You've, said you've gone, chosen to go your own way. And just by saying, Lord, I've chosen to go my own way, you want to also respond then, but I want to go where you lead me. And so it's as simple as this, Lord Jesus, I've walked my own path for a long time. Please forgive me and help me to walk the way you want me to go and invite him to come and be present with you by his Holy Spirit. And some of you have known him and you have forgotten that he wants to be present. And it's pretty much the same prayer. Lord, I forgot that I was walking with you. Please forgive me and come again and fill me and enable me to walk with you again. You see, the process of salvation is not a once and done. It's an ongoing thing. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would move amongst us this morning and make your presence real. And, Lord, for those who have never known you, I pray that you would invite them just by being present and making yourself real to them to follow you and for those of us lord who know you but have lost our way in terms of maybe going our own way lord i pray that you would remind us of all the freedoms that you have for us all the joys that are set before us and lord that we would again turn to follow you with all that we have so come And work amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton. And throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.